Hello and welcome to the State of Play, episode 7, and uh, I'm your host, Pep Barisha, joined by my co-host, as usual, Matt Santangelo. Matt, how on earth are you, man? Not too bad. The, uh, the ebbs and flows of a uh, Serie A season as a Milan fan, they're starting to take their toll. A um, couple wins recently, uh, you know, the couple defeats before that, but now it seems like it's... Uh, and it's like they're getting into that that part of the season where you got to start you know, establishing yourself in the you know the, the position for a top four finish. So um, yeah, it's kind of frustrating. Not frustrating. It gets more exhausting. It's more uh, more on that end of things. But uh, I'm hanging in there, of course. Uh, you know, aside with the uh, the whole workflow and that being a little bit more ramped up now, it's uh, got to manage things. But I'm getting through it. What about you? Bags under your eyes, gray hair, last minute oh, Romagnoli yeah. winners, the beard growing out. You know, it's all it's all part of life, right? What what a crazy, <laughs> crazy goal that was by Romagnoli, though. Nuts. Yeah, right? There was a little bit of a uh, Halloween uh, Halloween treat for me. So, uh, you know, I felt pretty good. Usually, uh, you know, it's been a lot of tricks, a lot of, uh, you know, disappointing type of things that happened for Milan in recent years. But to see something like that, I was pretty happy. It was a nice little uh, Halloween teaser for me to, to take into the weekend. Definitely a bit of Zlatan Ibrahimovic in that, though. Kind of like yeah, a, right? a, a low yeah, roundhouse sure. kick looping over the goalkeeper. It was nuts. But yeah, no, I, I think we're going to get straight into it with our first kind of topic, which is shock. PSG and Manchester City targeted by the FFP people. Uh, and they have apparently, apparently broken some FFP rules. And they were covered up by Giovanni Infantino, who was at that point uh, part of UEFA so footy leaks kind of uh, documented that according to an investigation of more than 70 million documents analyzed over eight months by 80 journalists four members of European investigative collaborations UEFA UEFA knowingly helped the clubs to cover up their own irregularities for political reasons so both clubs uh, are owned obviously by uh, the Qataran Oh, sorry. Both clubs are bankrolled by wealth from Qatar and Abu Dhabi, respectively, and uh, they've uh, in the past avoided severe financial fair play punishment, especially PSG with their buys of uh, Kylian Mbappe and Neymar. But this, basically what happened, as I understand it, Matt, is these Qatari and uh, Abu Dhabi investments basically said look we're going to give you sponsorship money we're going to sponsor you on a yearly basis manchester city and psg and they sponsored them over the kind of allowed amount so you're allowed to be sponsored a certain amount by say i think an owner or one sponsorship team and they kind of sponsored them and incentivize them way more than they should have and uh, i think that pwc one of the big consultancies one of the big four consultancies uh, audited um psg's books and saw some of these irregularities and the i think the investment group basically threatened them and told them to strike that from their report so matt are you surprised by any of this this is uh it's kind of one of those um disappointed but not surprised types of scenarios right i think for a lot for several years now uh, really since city and psg uh it kind of made their rise um, in European football, starting, you know, to really compete um, and dominate their leagues and, you know, obviously have really good success in, in bringing players, um, you know, that can help them win titles and, and go deep into the Champions League, which we've seen with both teams. Um, I think there was, you know, behind the scenes, you know, 
Uh, I think there was a lot of people that really weren't surprised by this. I think, again, you know, the biggest surprise, again, for me, I, I tweeted this out on Friday. Uh, there was a big bombshell, obviously, once it came out. Everyone saw football leaks to come out with something on Friday, and everyone's kind of on the edge of their seat saying, what's going to happen? What's going to be uncovered? What type of, uh, you know, stuff's going to be dug up? Um, and sure enough, it was a big, uh, again, of course, as you mentioned, as we're talking about right now at PSG and Man City, it's not really surprising of uh, many people at this point because I think, again, there were um, issues and there were concerns and there were doubts behind PSG's methods, their uh, transfer policies, you know, and staying within those financial fair play regulations. So I think for me, again, it's the biggest thing. It's not so much. It's not that I'm surprised that these things are coming out. The biggest surprise for me would be if if FIFA and UEFA actually do something about it set, you know, actually make it a point and make an example out of these two teams for what they've been doing. Now, of course, obviously, you can't just say, okay, we're just going to go by these reports and this is going to be taken as, as as fact in this matter because obviously there's a lot of things that involve. There's a lot of investigation that probably still has to take place with regards to these uh, leaks. Having said that, I think what we need to see now and I, I hope that we see now is that an investigation is taking place. You know, it's it's fairly done. It's really looked into. It's not just thrown under the rug and saying, oh, okay, well, you know, we didn't find anything with PSG. Oh, we didn't find anything with City. They get a light slap on the wrist and away we go and then nothing happens. And it's just going to be consistently doing this um, or this is going to consistently be occurring, um, you know, into the next decade, next two decades, so on and so forth. I think at this point, you know, even people I ask, you know, it's funny, I actually texted my friends, um, some are soccer fans, some are not, they're, they're American football fans, uh, basketball fans, but they know I love soccer, they know I covered it extensively, and I put it in my group chat, and they're saying, it's almost like they're like, oh, there's, you know, corruption going on in European soccer, imagine my shock, like, it's, <laughs> I think that's kind of a disappointing thing, it's it's funny, but it's also sad in a way, because I think there's so much beauty about this sport, there, and then that's, obviously, we know it's, you know, the, the, um, the, you know the, the 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 things that we can see in the sport we talked about them extensively on previous uh, episodes. Santi Cazorla being one of them. You know, great stories, feel good stories, and of course it all comes down to football, right? It's a game that unifies so many people across this world, and to see things like this getting you know, tarnished, this reputation for this game get tarnished by things like this, it can't happen. And again, I, I I just hope that FIFA, UEFA, they do they 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 actually take action on this. Again, I that would, it remains to be seen what's going to happen with these two clubs and and for what they've been. Uh, doing the past several years if the reports are in fact true um that's my that's my thing my takeaway from this is it's like saying like okay like i've seen i mean even there there was mentions of doping i, I don't know if you saw this too just not to <laughs> no, no, too much into that. it but there was a report that came out saying there was there was a barcelona journalist saying there was like a doping thing going on maybe with barcelona oh and then there was another one um with a uh, it came out in the leaks. It was kind of maybe not the main story or the main headline in the the reveal of the, all the leaks on Friday, but they pretty much brought out. Uh, they're saying a multiple Champions League winner has been like doping. It's kind of it's it's obvious he's been doping. There's positive. My, tests my bets would be it. on. Um, oh, he's not multiple, is he? I was going to say my bets would be on uh, Luis Suarez. <laughs> yeah, there was there was there was something coming out with it. So then there's an, that's that's another thing. And again, I think you know, getting back to you know the main thing because again, I think doping is is something that does occur. But and you know, with with the amount of games some of these players play, um, you know, having to be con- consistently fit, you know, and the money involved and the implications of uh, you know missing out on a game loom large. 
But getting back to PSG and Man City, time will tell. I think we've it's kind of understood that certain things have been happening behind the scenes, and, and it's kind of obvious with some of these clubs, the way they deal with certain matters, and with regards to financial fair play and you know, corruption and all that stuff. We got to see action. We got to see if there's actually going to be um, concrete actions taken and measures taken to uh, make an example out of the out of these teams, so that other teams don't do this. Other you know or, uh, clubs don't do this, and that's going to be the biggest surprise for me is to see what type of punishment, if any, is given to both PSG, Man City, and of course Infantano and um, Platini, because obviously they're they're at uh, at fault for this as well, if uh, reports are true. Yeah, imagine my shock again, Michel Platini uh, <laughs> embroiled in some sort of cover-up or scam. It's, it's a bit of a disgrace, really. I think we need to see some sort of fine and punishment like the one that we saw Barcelona where they were banned from the transfer, the, ban, the transfer yeah. ban. We need to see something like that for Manchester City and Barcelona. I think FFP came in to make things more competitive it it would stop there being kind of like super teams, kind of like in the NBA, how there's you know a salary cap um, where right. it kind of tries I think the intentions, the the intentions behind financial yeah. fair play, I believe are are meant to be good, obviously to prevent some of these teams and some you know some of these clubs from effectively just saying, okay, we got sponsorships, we're just going to pour two billion, two point six billion dollars into this, uh, two point six billion euro or pound rather into this team, and we're just going to dominate the league. I think financial fair play, that's the intention of it are are meant to be good but obviously you could see there's major loopholes and there's major corruption behind it so uh, you know at this point is what is financial fair play i think there's some people that kind of yes we go go on the website and you can um uefa effectively lists financial fair play and gives all the reasons of his intentions and its goals and all that stuff but is it being carried out the right way is it being implemented to the point where it's treating everyone to the same standard and it's fairly being implemented or some bypassing it and, you know, getting getting away with, uh, you know, corruption and kind of, uh, you know, illegal matters. So, uh, you, again, you hope that things change, but it remains to be seen because I think this has been going on for uh, quite some time. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be loopholes in every walk of life, but this has to be tightened up, surely. But uh, moving on to a slightly more feel-good story, Matt. I think you started off with Santi Cazorla, him returning to Villarreal. What about Zlatan Ibrahimovic? I I know I didn't say we were going to cover this one before, but I was just scrolling through Twitter as you were going on in a long rant about uh, European financial regulators in football. But Ibrahimovic apparently linked back to a return to AC Milan. So six-month contract apparently on the table. He wants 18. What's going on there? Yeah, so, um, of course, this this actually... A return for Zlatan Ibrahimovic has been somewhat of a possibility, somewhat of a pipe dream for really since he left, right? I think once he left uh, PSG for Manchester United, there were some people that thought maybe he would go back to Milan, right? Because of the the love, affection, and the you know the success he had at Milan. And just again, Milan's a great. It's a great city. It's a. They're still a great club with so much tradition, history, um, and culture. But you know, at Milan, we're in a difficult spot. You know, it's still more or less in a difficult spot until they can get you know top four finish. So that was always kind of in the background, right? Uh, you know, Ibrahimovic has always talked highly about Milan and possibly wanting to return. But the things have to align. Everything has to kind of make sense at that moment in time. And of course, uh, you know, when Milan were searching for a striker, but prior to them getting Iguain. That kind of came up a little bit as well, but I think it was understood that he obviously wanted to, uh, you know, see if he can make some things happen in, in Major League Soccer with LA Galaxy. Of course, he had a great year with them this year, um, and, and on the final, the final game, the kind of the uh, decision day, if you will, 
Uh, they were up 2-0, Galaxy against the Houston Dynamo, and they actually conceded three straight goals. So Zlatan Ibrahimovic is not going to be in the MLS playoffs in his first season there, which again, for him, you know, a guy who's won everywhere is pretty disappointing, right? Because you know that if Galaxy were able to make it and Ibrahimovic was able to take center stage, there was a good chance that Ibrahimovic probably could have won something or made a deep run um, in the MLS Cup playoffs, but that's not going to happen now. So with this kind of break in between seasons for him, uh, I think it's it's fair to say that he's going to look to play football elsewhere. I don't think he's just going to sit on his rear um, in Hollywood, although it's pretty easy to do out there with the nice weather and, you know, the Hollywood scene and all that stuff. I'm sure he can occupy himself as a, uh, as a multimillionaire, but... Uh, I think he again as as the natural competitor he is and the love he has from Milan it just makes sense again I think Milan as you mentioned when you know with Mino Raiola you know working on his behalf to kind of kind of get him a good deal some people were saying okay maybe it's a 6 month loan deal something similar to what David Beckham had when he kind of went back and forth between Galaxy and Milan Yeah that's what it's um, reminding me of At this point I wouldn't be surprised if he's uh wants to go more than that again provided Milan can finish with a top four, you know, top four position. Right now, they're in. I think they're in fifth. Of course, they have to have to play their game at the time of recording. I think they're three points behind Lazio in, in fourth. Um, so there is the opportunity there. It does make sense, even with Milan having Iguain and Cutrone, who are you know they're the only two strikers on the roster at the moment, and they're they're both playing really well. You know, Ibrahimovic is still has value to this team, especially if they're going to go with a 4-4-2 formation long term. Not to mention you have the three competitions, Europa League, Serie A, and Coppa Italia to worry about. Ibrahimovic will get minutes. He'll be able to play. He's not going to have the same role and same um, uh, influence in terms of, uh, you know, him saying, I'm going to start right away. I'm going to play all the minutes. I don't think he's going to have that type of role with Milan. Whether he would be happy with the diminished role, kind of taking a little bit of a back seat, you know, getting those minutes to play, you know, being a, a guiding presence to some of the youngsters, even Cutrone, which I think would be a fantastic, right? Imagine Cutrone, a 20-year-old, being able to play alongside Iguain Ibrahimovic and train with them on a day-to-day basis. I mean, I think that would be fantastic for them. And I think, obviously, Ibrahimovic brings that that lion persona, right, that he always likes to talk about and that winning mentality, that DNA that he has. I think that type of mentality and and profile in the locker room uh would be would be great for Milan you know yes some people think that okay well you know Ibrahimovic you know you don't really don't want a guy like this because at this time because again there's a lot of youngsters there's other players that want to play um and sometimes a guy like Ibrahimovic can kind of rustle some feathers and shake things up and make things a little bit uncomfortable or uneasy but I think that's the opposite I think he has nothing but love for Milan and if him Mino Raiola Leonardo and Paolo Maldini can and Gattuso of course obviously being the coach um, who he played with, um, you know, during his tenure at Milan, if they all can come to an agreement and establish, hey, you know what, you're not going to be a main guy, but you're going to be at peace and help us get there. We'll, 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 you'll definitely play. You'll definitely get the minutes that you know that you're looking for to kind of stay fit. And if you do choose to go somewhere else, um, maybe in the summer, go back to Galaxy, maybe go elsewhere, maybe Malmo, um, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, I've even heard something about a Real Madrid rumor. I just don't see that happening. Then again, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be surprising considering the fact that Ibrahimovic spent one season at at Barcelona, right? Wouldn't be would it surprise him to go to Real Madrid and kind of uh, be another one of those players that plays for both clubs, right? Not to mention his his idol is Ronaldo. He's uh, you know R nine. So um, again, I think Ibrahimovic. Look, it's obvious he still has so much to give to this sport. Uh, he's going to have options. 
Uh, I think Milan would, would be wise to take him on. Again, it gives him more depth up front. It gives him a great profile of, and a player who, um, you know, I think can really help push them over the edge and give them more depth and more quality to really ensure that they do they are best positioned to finish fourth uh, when the season ends. Yeah, I think this would be a bit of a fairy tale return. And Milan are going to play a lot of games this season. And if you factor in on top of that, that, as you mentioned, there's only two real number nines at the club in the first team. And I don't think there's that much of a veteran presence. I mean, especially if you look at their back four, uh, you've got Caldara, Romagnoli, um, Conti, Calabria, um, Rodriguez, uh, Laxalt, who's kind of left mid, left back. Well, these guys are pretty young. And then you look at um, Suso on the right, you've got Bakayoko and uh, Frank the Tank. It's not the old, it's not that old of a, a team and there's not that much of a veteran presence in that team players that have won a lot apart from Higuain I think they need a bit more of that because if you look at the difference between them and maybe um, Juventus at the moment which is obviously what everyone in Serie A is trying to aspire to team at Juventus just has so many winners and I think that's what Milan tried to do with Bonucci that was their kind of like we need to bring in someone who is going to teach the rest of the team to win and it obviously didn't work out for one reason or another now now will Ibrahimovic be that piece I'm not sure but it would be a good addition for Milan I think I think again with Ibrahimovic look uh, you know because some people even talked about a return for Pato yeah I was going to mention that as well those players who has so much love and affection and it's obvious that he would love to come back to Milan I think he has unfinished uh, unfinished business at the club Um, you know when he did leave of course uh, he had some injury issues under Allegri Balotelli came in, and then really he's been away from the club ever since. You know, with with you know stops at Villarreal, a, a brief loan at Chelsea. You know, and and he's been in China and and Brazil, of course. You know, during that stretch as well. So I think again, Milan are probably going to look to get another striker again, especially if they stick with a four four two. I think you can't um, you can't afford to have just two guys who can play this role and go with guys like. Samu Castellejo, um, you know, regularly in in a false nine role. He's just not that type of player. So if they're able to land a guy like Ibrahimovic, I think the reason, the one thing I could see why this makes sense from both sides is that if he's able to get it like a like a six year, no, just not six years. I think again, maybe he probably would think he can play for another six years, um, six month loan deal. Um, with an option maybe to make it an, a full another year, I think that would be something that would interest all parties. Um, again, of course, provided that you know it can maybe could be a contingent on them qualifying for top four, right? So let's say you, Ibrahimovic comes in for a six month loan in January, he helps them get to a top four finish, and then he comes and plays maybe a one more year at the club and and plays in the Champions League, right? That could be something that he's thinking. He's a guy that loves challenges. He's not going to go and sit here and somewhere collect money and not want to win. And I think, again, despite maybe what people think about him going to Los Angeles, he wants to win. He's He wants to dominate leagues. He wants to be able to to continually challenge for trophies and, and titles and no matter where he goes until he you know, calls it quits. So if Milan are able to convince him and saying, look, you're not going to have the same main role. We have Cutrone, we have Iguain, those are our main guys, but you will get minutes. You will have an influence on this team. You will be a major piece to us accomplishing what we want to accomplish. I think it makes sense, and as you just mentioned, having that that winning presence, that persona in the locker room, I think in many ways it's comparable to what I even said about the Ronaldo edition for Juve. Aside from all the goals, aside from everything he's going to do on the pitch, when people look around at Ronaldo and they see him in the locker room, 
it kind of helps, it kind of inspires a lot of these guys. And we're playing with Ronaldo. Like, if you can't bring your best to the table while this guy's doing it at his age and he's consistently maintaining excellence, then you got to check yourself and you, maybe you got to wonder, you know, if, if you're meant cut off to this club because teams like Juve, they want to win everything every year. So I think a guy like Ibrahimovic, look, if 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 all parties can make sense of this and they kind of understand that what his role would be and he's accepting of it, I think it could be a really good fit for Milan in the short term and then something that can maybe help them, uh, you know, within a year, maybe give or take if they do make Champions League because you want to have that presence. You want to have that guy who is a match winner, who is hungry, and a guy that if you look around at the you know, the guys who are looking around in the, in, in the locker room and seeing who he is, I think that ultimately elevates certain players to bring their game to another level. We were seeing it with Iguain already, right? How Suso's benefited from having Iguain. Throw Ibrahimovic in there, I think it's only going to improve a lot of players. And again, I think it's a low risk. If you could get him on a six-month loan, he can maybe push you over the edge, qualify for top four. And he's at a good position right now in his career where he's accomplished a lot. My guess is he wouldn't be demanding to start. I think he just wants to come back to Milan, be a part of some of these uh, th- this this rise back to Champions League. And um, again, he has a re- great relationship with Leonardo, Maldini, Gattuso. So I think at the overall, if you look at the management side of things, right, because we talked about how unhealthy it's been. It's a lot, a little bit more clearer now. The vision's a little bit more established, and the project overall is a little bit more in place. I think Ibrahimovic, if he's going to make a, a return back to Milan, as you just mentioned, a fairy tale return it would be. Now would be the time to do it. I think with a two up front, you need to have at least three or four strikers, and I think at his age, it would benefit him to play with a partner because I think if you look at his previous. 10 years as a forward he's been the guy up front isolated on his own which obviously takes a toll on your body is more physically demanding than playing in a two a lot would argue leading that line your own I mean just look at Harry Kane this season he he looks exhausted just leading the line uh, for England all summer especially in a team that didn't have that much much possession but we won't get into that too much our next uh, topic or point of conversation is going to be all about a man we both love Luca Torreira and his man of the match performance against Liverpool did you watch the game Matt I did actually yeah I made sure I made sure I uh, got all my things taken care of for Saturday so I can just kind of be lazy sit down and just watch uh, a Lucas Torreira clinic which uh, (laughs) I was quite delighted I I was able to tune in for he was uh, absolutely sensational I think there was that one period where he did that crazy tackle on uh, Mo Salah and then Fabinho picked it up and he just kind of like threw him to the floor got the ball out to Kolasinac and he was on his way it was crazy though you're talking about Fabinho who's a guy who's 6'3 that's like that's like 9 10 inches taller than Luca Torreira Mm -hmm. and yeah I think he's like 5'6 so yeah he comes from Uruguay he's only 5'5 yeah he's yeah (laughs) 5'5 so it's the the song song, of course yeah that's the only it's kind of like northeast uh, never eat shredded wheat that's how you remember northeast southwest Uh, but Luca Torreira he's like just his low centre of gravity allows him to just throw people off the ball and Fabinho is a big guy someone that you you don't really want to mess with on a football pitch but he Fabinho had a really tough time I mean there were there were people on Twitter calling him the the Brazilian Bakayoko that's how bad he played uh and yeah that... the, one of the nicknames the song get called was the Copacabana Bakayoko which I started crying uh some of the nicknames yesterday were fantastic from uh, uh... from that uh that, that <laughs> Liverpool Arsenal game around Salah someone called him like the uh the hieroglyphics like uh, Bia Biani or something I was like dying <laughs> some of these nicknames that people come up with but yeah Lucas Herrera was fantastic and um 
I'm not surprised. I mean, we talked about him. I'm not. I'm not. A, you know, we we talked about him uh, quite a bit on this podcast on Twitter. Everyone who uh, knows me or doesn't know me, huge Lucas Torreira fan. Uh, I was, this, was a, this was a slam dunk deal for Arsenal from day one. A move I was very excited about. Um, some people were skeptical because uh, he's a smaller player. How he would be able to kind of last in a really physical, uh, physically demanding league like the Premier League. Plus, not to mention that transition is always difficult going from a team like Samp to Arsenal, a big club where you immediately have the expectations and the spotlights on you. Um, early on, he came off mostly off the bench. Uh, I was kind of questioning Unai Emery's decision with that. Um, of course, in time, his talent has prevailed, had uh, shined through, and he's hammered out a starting position for himself. And um, yeah, he's paying dividends. You saw the performance he had yesterday, the, the, the clenching tackles, the, you know, the energy, right? And you look at him too, he looks like such an innocent little like player, right? He's small. He, you know, the way the way he kind of just like it's almost like it's almost like, I think people people have made the comparisons with him and Conte. I think it's uh, you know obviously too early to make that comparison because Conte's been uh, a star for several years. But when you look at him, right, Conte just he you know he does this the dirty work. He's he's you know that that defensive midfield rock that you know kind of is, is kind of hand, uh, holding it down for Chelsea. But you see of all the pictures, he's always like smiling, and it's almost like he does it with a smile on his face. He genuinely enjoys it. And I see these pictures of Lucas Torreira, right? You know, he's holding up uh, the Man of the Match award yesterday, and then of course, you know, months ago he was doing that uh, that Mate T video. And it looks like a guy just goes about his business. He loves playing football. He loves his position at Arsenal. And you, you know, you're starting to see really why he was such a quality addition. Again, at 30 million euro, uh, 30 million euro, I believe, split between two installments. Absolute bargain. Slam dunk deal for Arsenal. Um, Arsenal fans, I know yeah, you're quite happy yeah. with them. I know we talk quite uh, quite a bit it's about, about uh, eighty percent of our conversation, isn't it? Oh yeah, that's that's all we talk about. So again, it's, I'm happy to see that you know, uh, you know that that kind of fandom that I've had for for several years now with him at Samp is making that transition into England, and he's just picking up right where he left off after a great World Cup, and uh, he's turning into a star right in front of our eyes. I saw someone tweet today. It was something along the lines of, "Dear Arsenal." please tie Luca Torreira down to a longer-term contract. He's only on about £50,000 a week at the moment. Don't make the same mistake as you've done in the past. Obviously, he was alluding to Aaron Ramsey, who's going to leave at the end of his uh, summer, which, I mean, I think a lot of Arsenal fans are upset about because he's kind of an Arsenal legend. He's scored in two FA Cup finals, um, but they're not as displeased as they were with the Van Persies, the... You know the Omri's, the uh, the the Fabregas's, the Nazri's, uh, because Arsenal have a lot of players in that position. You've got Meza Özil, you've got um, it will be ML Smith Rao coming through the ranks. There's a lot of players playing in that kind of number ten, number eight, or eight and a half position. And there's not really with Luca Torreira coming in a place for um, for Aaron Ramsey. So I think that needs to be done maybe towards the end of the year, the end of the season, where they sit down and say, look, you know what? You've proved yourself as one of the most influential players in this locker room. You need... Oh, did I say locker room? Changing room. Uh, <laughs> you've Americanized me. Room, you've Americanized me. You've Americanized me. Um, he's he's made of, of a great partnership with uh, Granite Xhaka, big man, little man, but in the, in the CDM spot. And if you watch Arsenal, they play with these two flying fullbacks and you've got this square of Xhaka, Torreira, and then the two centre-backs and it works really well. He's just, Xhaka was great yesterday too. Yeah, yeah he's, 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 again, I even said that too, and not, not to cut you off, but, you know, we, we talked a lot about, you know, with Xhaka, you know, how he would benefit, how some of the players in the squad would benefit from having a guy like Torreira, despite him being new, despite him being young. 
He's had that effect on a lot of players. Jaka's elevated his game quite a bit. He had a great you know, tackle to prevent the goal yesterday um, in the game against uh, Liverpool. And you're starting to see again the entire season, like they kind of mesh quite well. And you got that again, that double pivot. You got those that, those two holding midfielders who have, you know, they have the great work rates. They're strong. They're aggressive. They have that, that, that energy in them to kind of help in that sense. But also, again, man that midfield, control things. And, you know, they kind of work cohesively quite well. So I think, again, you're you're not only getting a player in Torreira that's doing his end of the deal, but he's really helping a lot of the players around him by giving him that, that presence, that physical presence where they can give him a ball under pressure. He knows what he's going to do with it. He's not going to turn it over. And the same thing's happening with Shaka. So I think, again, to your point, that's you know, if you, Arsenal can't make the same mistake they did with Ramsey, you got to lock up Torreira, give him, hey, look, you, you, you've proven yourself. You've made your transition into the squad. We want to keep you long term. We're going to give you that 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 pay hike and um, you know get, you know, establish him as one of the main guys moving forward because I think again he, he's uh, he's been a, he's been a star and I think there's some people who you know, you know have said I think this week we're saying that um, you know this this some element of his game that worries me maybe he wasn't um, as as aggressive or or whatever the case was they they mentioned something I forgot what it was and I'm saying to myself the guy's 22 he's had a great year so far. And now you're kind of nitpicking him on that. Like, this guy is, is proven that he can improve week to week. He's proven that he, he's got the right mindset. You know, he's hungry. He's, he's willing, based off his background and his upbringing, he's willing to, to work hard and to prove in certain areas where he needs to improve. Again, Arsenal fans, they got to love the guy they have in Lucas Torreira. And I think, again, you know, there's going to be a lot of players around him. Um, you're going to start to see them elevate their game. And I think, again, it's kind of that's how football works, though, right? When you add one piece, you're not just looking at how he's going to impact the team. You're going to look at how he's going to impact those around him. So uh, Lucas Torreira has been a, a great addition for Arsenal. And I'm looking forward to see more from him. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of the Premier League clubs are looking around and, and looking at what they've played for certain central midfielders, Danny Drinkwater, 30 million, 35 million pounds. Fred, 60 million. Bakayoko. Bakayoko, 38 million pounds. Uh, Fred, 60 million pounds. Man City, I haven't done actually too badly, to be fair. I mean, you remember the old uh, Javi Garcia's of this world where they paid 25, 30 million pounds for him. And obviously, Arsenal haven't made exceptional signings with every signing that they've made, but they've gotten great value for money with him uh bird leno has been kind of shaky uh but you know mkhitaryan has not been amazing but this transfer window has kind of proven that this new structure this modern structure that the likes of chelsea arsenal and uh, milan manchester city uh, have currently got employed is is kind of working and luca Torreira is only on fifty thousand pounds a week that's kind of advantageous for arsenal because suddenly you could double or maybe even more than double his wage or salary and he's not even on that big a salary compared to the rest of the players in the squad and he's still young so Arsenal have done a great job there but we need to move on Matt we mean you could go on all day about Luca Torreira uh, we're going to highlight five players around uh, Europe who have we're basically going to rate them uh, as new incoming signings so we're going to start off with uh, Jorginho going to Chelsea how do you think he's fared so far uh, so I think you know a lot's been made about the uh, Jorginho uh, transfer for Chelsea, right? Because again, obviously they have the connection with him and Sorry from their Napoli days. Um, I think that Jorginho has been a fantastic addition. He's done exactly what you know, Chelsea fans expect of him, what uh, exactly what he's done for several years at Napoli, and that's be that that dictator, that midfield tempo player where he can um, you know again. He's not just a side-pass merchant, people. He's not just a side-pass merchant. Uh, I've seen him plenty over the years 
drop dimes, drop those deep balls. And again, I think it really depends on the role, right? He's got the ability to stretch the field and to make those vertical passes. But I think when you have, when you have him and Conte, and you really have what Sarri's looking to do and perfect perfect fit. And I would have kind of been disappointed um, if che- if Chelsea didn't go make all the effort to get. Uh, Georgina once they brought in Sorry because I think he was the perfect fit. You know, but it also it's also helping Sorry um, with his adjustment to the to the different league um, and get his tactics in. Right when you have that that anchor midfielder who can do that, not to mention you have a guy like Conte next to him. I mean, this was a slam dunk deal again. I think there's still more that Georgino can give, but I think overall he's been a fantastic addition. And of course, if you play well, the fee doesn't matter. The money doesn't matter if you perform. And I think I, I, we say that often because you know people say the money. It's a lot of money for a player. Like, what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't perform? Georgino's done that right out of the gate. He's performed. I think he went arrived for 50, 50 plus million pounds. Uh, you could correct me on the actual number, but he went for quite a bit. He didn't, wasn't cheap, and he's been a success so far. So you know, Chelsea are in a good position in the league table, and they have uh, Jorginho. And of course, obviously, sorry to thank for a lot of that success. And it's been a, he's been a, a solid addition and a guy that really they can expect to, to rely on uh, throughout the entire season and beyond. Yeah, I think it was fifty million with seven million in potential add-ons. Damn, Some I didn't, bonuses, yeah. d- didn't know it was that much. I thought it was more on the thirty-two, thirty-five million pound uh, mark. But yes, he's certainly been one of the best performers this season so far. In that kind of pivot on his own, he's kind of he's just like a quarterback, isn't he? He's he's incredible. Hardly ever gives the ball away. Uh, his positioning reads the game is well. Exceptional. He's kind of yeah, calling, you, calling took the words yeah, out of my mouth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, exceptional, exceptional reading of the game. Almost Busquets-like, but a, a bit more mobile. But we'll move on to the next one in, the, in a similar position. Um, uh, Fred from uh, Manchester United. What have you thought, what have you thought of him so far? Oof, so um, this has been an interesting one. I think, again, you know, there, among many of the issues that Manchester United have had this year, especially in that midfield, I think um, they're still kind of looking to uh, find that right form under Mourinho. There was a point in time where we thought Mourinho was going to be gone. Um, over that international break. Of course, it looks like he's somewhat steadying the ship. Maybe he will last the entire season. Who knows at this point? But I think what we've seen with guys like Fred, um, a disappointing uh, player so far. And, and whether that's down to just a player, is it down to the role he's playing, the tactics, Mourinho? Um, I guess we really don't know at this point. But I think you're also starting to see a drop-off in certain in other players around him. So maybe that's there's a reason to, to believe that maybe Fred's not right now being utilized the best way. Uh, I think he came from Shakhtar, if I'm correct. Um, big money uh, expectations when you spend that much money on a player um, who's also young to play that role. And, you know, you're coming to Manchester United. You've got to bring it. You've got to be able to produce the goods. And, um, you know, even even Matic, it looks like someone even made this the the, uh, the joke about him. He's, he goes, he moves slower than a Tonka truck. The guy, I mean, some midfielders and some players in this team are not thriving to their ability. And, again, you wonder if it's down to Mourinho, if it's down to the tactics. Maybe it's just, the, you know, the acclimation phase for a guy like Fred because I think it's obvious he is a good player. He's a quality talent. Um, and, you know, uh, a player that is probably, you know, was deserving of a big move. But for whatever reason, he hasn't been as sharp. He hasn't been as influential. So right now, it looks like this this move could be uh, one of those cases where, uh, you know, Man United fans are thinking we got to go in and get another midfielder because you got Matic who's struggling. He looks like he's dropping, and then also Fred doesn't look like he's able to quite make that transition yet to Premier League football. So um, this is one I got to kind of monitor uh, and, and kind of be, be on standby with because I think again Fred has talent. He has potential. But maybe some players again. We you know not not everyone can adapt quickly. We're seeing what 
Jorginho has been able to do. We're seeing with Luke, how quickly Lucas Torreira has been able to adapt. Some players take longer to do so, and maybe Fred is one of those guys. So I guess we'll have to see how the season progresses um, for Manchester United and see if maybe Mourinho can uh, tinker a little bit and maybe kind of shape that shift that midfield around to the point where Fred can be that you know that expensive midfield signing they uh, expected. Yeah, Fred. I think he's been a bit unlucky with this kind of. Pogba thing taking control of everything that's happened at United even if they're playing well or, or or not well it seems to be Pogba in the headlines and I think that Fred has I don't know he, he he he's been in and out of the team when United have gone very defensive especially away at big teams or at home to big teams he's not featured it didn't help the other day that he got subbed off and Herrera came in and basically dominated the game and ended up uh, helping win the ball, give it to Pogba, and then Pogba went and crossed it in for the Rashford last-minute winner against Bournemouth. It really doesn't help when things kind of, little things like that go against you. He hasn't really been much of a creative presence. And if you haven't done that in the forward parts of the department, then suddenly players and managers and fans start looking at your defensive side he's not really a defensive midfielder so suddenly you're looking at him saying what is he actually offered and if someone like Herrera comes on and dominates the game which I mean if you look at the highlights from that game he comes on and immediately his presence on the pitch was felt I think Mourinho talked about it after the game he said he's not someone who's amazing at something but he's very good at many things and you saw that very sound technically had two chances that were literally centimeters off the post tackled very much and won loads of fouls and he was just very very much instrumental in Manchester United winning that game I think Fred has a lot to prove and at 50 60 million pounds it's a lot of money and we talked about this in the last episode right where Manchester United are getting to that point where I think their their board is just losing confidence in their ability to pick good transfers so I think there's that big pressure as well that the crest is really weighing down on him. So we- I also think too when you when you when you spend that much money on a guy like Fred, right? You, you know, I think when they when, when look back at certain players that Manchester United have splashed the cash on, um, let's talk about Anthony Martial for a brief moment here because they spent a lot of money on him as a teenager from Monaco. They weren't, yes, they were expecting him to make an impact immediately. I think when you spend that much money, I mean, it's silly to think that you wouldn't expect the guy to have an impact from the jump. But I think what it's what you also paying you're paying for his potential, what he could be. That's kind of what Barcelona paid for with Usman Dembele, right? They're not paying for a fin- he's not a finished player at that at 19 or 18, whatever you know, they bought him at. They're paying for uh, they're paying a premium now because they know that at 22, 23, he's probably going to be priced out of their their pricing range, and they can't afford him. I think when you look at a guy like Fred, like 40, 50 million pounds, he's 25 years old. It's it's there's there's I think their leash is not as long as it probably would be with most other players because you know again you're expecting him to kind of jump into the into the team right away and have an impact he's not a project player where it's going to take a year or two for him to grow to you know develop he should be able to effectively come in and and be dem- and have that demand from the from the team and the board to say okay well we have to make this transfer click immediately in season one it can't be just a two years and let's wait and see what he is and then okay well we'll give him time like the expectations at Manchester United are high right now so you expect him to kind of come in and again have that influence that you as you just mentioned and he just hasn't had it yet let's see if he can do that um 
later in the season. I think there's a possibility with maybe Matic uh, you know, looking a little slow at this moment, maybe look like he's in a declining phase of himself. Maybe Mourinho does try to look to get uh, contributions elsewhere. Maybe he shakes up the midfield, who knows, and maybe Fred is a guy that can turn around and uh, win over some of the supporters because right now some people are a little bit on the fence with this, uh, this transfer, especially when you look at that fee. Yeah, I think it's one that we just need to sit and wait on. It's a bit similar to Navi Keita where it's a lot of money and They've performed in their past clubs. They might just need another six months or so to transition. But uh, moving on to Syria, Fabian Ruiz uh, going from uh, La Liga to Syria. How's he done at Napoli? So I did an article on. Um, I did two articles this uh, past I think month, month and a half uh, on on Fabian Ruiz. What type of player he is? Um, you know what type of impact he's having so far at Napoli. Uh, the one piece came after his debut, his competitive debut against Red Star Belgrade in the uh, Champions League, a zero-zero draw where he played at the base and he was really sharp. He looked he looked quite good in that game. Um, but you know, early on in the season, Ancelotti really was hesitant or not hesitant, but he wasn't giving him you know a ton of minutes, right? I think you, you could look at the midfield options that Ancelotti has, right? Pretty much as six deep at this moment. Again, you have Hamšík, you have Allen, you have Zielinski, you have Marco Raj, you have. Um, Ruiz, you know, they got guys in that midfield that can to make a difference. So, uh, you know, what once Fabio Ruiz was given those those small opportunities to start, he's made the most of them, and I think he's starting to really win over Ancelotti and really hammer down a, a starting uh, position right now. Of course, Ancelotti, ha- unlike Sarri, has tinkered and rotated a lot more, um, which, again, has given the opportunity for guys like Fabio Ruiz to get the minutes he needs to build some confidence, build up form, and get acclimated again to a different league. Of course, coming over from Real Betis for 30 million euro, um, the expectations for him were to uh, contribute this year and be um, an influence in that uh, in that midfield. Excuse me. But I think he's not just a typical, um, you know, regista. He's not a guy that's a you know a deep uh, playmaker um, in that midfield. I think he's a guy that gives Ancelotti um, a, a gadget player, if you will. And what I mean by that is a guy who um, can play in both sides of the midfield. He can play on the left. He can play on the right. Um, he's been frequently playing more on the left um, recently for for uh, Napoli, and he's done quite well, more of like a left-sided playmaker. Um, but he's a guy that also adds a different element, a guy that can score goals, and a guy that can you know, get you know, in a, into advanced positions and have a couple t- uh, tries out on, on net. And that's what we've seen. I think he's averaging, I think, 2.3, 2.4 shots per game. So he is a guy that, again, once he has given the opportunity, just a slight window of space, he's got a really good left foot. He's, he's good from free kicks. And I think so he adds a different... Uh, element or dimension to uh, Napoli's uh, you know, entire formation, entire uh, game plan, if you will. So I think Fabian Ruiz right now at 22 years old, 30 million euro, he's settled in quite nicely. I think he still has a lot more to give. And uh, there was a lot of people raving about Fabian Ruiz um, when, once Jorginho was rumored and pretty much all, all but out the door at, at Napoli, um, choosing between whether Chelsea or Man City. What is that? If they can get Fabio and Ariz, maybe they got something here. Of course, you know they have a luxury. I also didn't mention, um, and they have a luxury in this this deep position if they if they uh, choose to go with three there, uh, three guys effectively to choose from. Uh, Hamšík, who's transitioned from more of an attacking playmaker over his long career at Napoli um, as the captain, but they also have Amadou Diawara who plays that role and some people consider to be the heir to Jorginho, although he's very young. Um, and he's really, he's been there for a couple years now, but really hasn't been given that as much of an opportunity to hammer that down, or hammer that role down himself. So Ancelotti, again, he has a lot of options here. So I think that's, a, again, both sometimes a blessing, sometimes a curse, because, you know, if, if Fabian Ruiz continues to play well, 
you don't want to keep him out of the lineup. And if they continue to go with a a, a four man midfield, if you will, two guys left uh, left mid, uh, which again has been Ruiz typically, Kali Hone, who's played on the right as a right mid, but then those two midfielders in the in, with Alan and Hamshik. You know, now all of a sudden you're looking at guys like Diawara saying, well, look, if this guy's going to start, where are my minutes? Marco Raj, where are my minutes? Um, you know, Zelinski, again, we know what he's capable of too. So they have options. But again, I think if you're looking at Fabio and Ruiz and we're judging his transfer um, and the ultimately the, you know what, what I would rate it at this point based off what I've seen from him, um, I would say a, a good maybe seven and a half, eight, just because I think, again, he's been really good. Uh, overall, he's he's proven it in recent weeks, and specifically even in the game against Roma uh, last week, and I think the one-one draw. But I think there's also that element to his game that we haven't seen. It is more on the offensive end of things, the decision making, that ability to be a little bit more aggressive um, on the on the offensive side. Um, that I hope can can come out soon because again, it's it's we're starting to see what type of player he's capable of being, and that's a really well-versed, well-rounded uh, midfield asset um, that Atletico has on his hands. Yeah, I think it's been a shame that we haven't seen him more often in the central positions but to have him and Zielinski in the same team they've somehow got to play that 4-4-2 or some some iteration of 4-4-2 uh, which I'm not sure has been best for him but I think there's more to come and next Paco Alcacer Borussia Dortmund has gone from Barcelona officially now I think they pulled the uh the buyout clause and he's he's been on absolute fire Matt hasn't he yeah so again uh, most people know me as a Serie A guy and obviously you you're, you nailed it on the head there but um I, I follow other leagues goes without saying and we that's the reason why I've uh, me and you started this podcast right to talk about you know all all walks of football all brands of football and all leagues and I've been, uh, you know, from afar looking at what he's been able to accomplish at Dortmund, much like other players who uh, moved to Dortmund, because I feel like everyone who goes to Dortmund just thrives. It's one of those places where you feel like if you want to, you'll get some uh, stability in your career. You want to, you're a youngster looking to kind of get your feet wet and kind of establish yourself in the world of football. Um, like we've seen with Yacht, uh, uh, Sancho and, 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 and so many other players before him, you know, it, it looks like it's one of those, those breeding grounds of just top talent. Um, and again, Usman Dembele would be another one who was at Barcelona now, who moved for a hundred million euro or something like that a couple years ago. But getting back to uh, Paco here, it's, I mean, 25 years old. I think he has seven goals in five Bundesliga matches. Um, the guy's been on a tear, and this is what you're looking for. This is the type of value that some of these teams like Dortmund look for, right? Is when they sell players for a lot, a lot ton of money, they often look for the value. I think, you know, people are looking at this now and saying, oh, well, what, where did Barcelona go wrong with Paco? I don't think it's so much where they went wrong. I think, I think it's more about down to maybe fit, down to the player having that connection and seeing eye to eye with the manager, having an, having, being able to integrate himself, being able to kind of transition and say, you know what? I'm not going to let my, what happened at Barcelona affect me here. And he's he's hit the ground running. He looks like he's been a, a perfect fit there. And, uh, uh, fits like a glove into um, what Dorman are looking to do moving forward. Uh, again, they do have a lot of youngsters. But again, having a guy who's 25 who has a little bit more experience under his belt and who's able to effectively score the way he is, I mean, this has been a slam dunk deal, and it's only uh, fitting that they uh, pick up that option on him because I think, again, when you look at him 25 years old, even if he, you know, let's say, for example, has a great year this year, next year, um, he uh, scores a bunch, 
they can always you know be in that position where okay well they got their money's worth and made a good investment and they can flip them for a profit because teams are always looking for strikers especially big clubs um you know that seems like a, d- a difficult pos- position for big teams to want to fill at this point so um the market will always be there for them to cash in on him if they choose to but right now i think they're uh, reaping the benefits of having that trust having that good scouting to come recognize that hey this is a guy who can fit into our team and can really score goals by the bunches and that's uh exactly what he's doing yeah and they've got him for a decent fee as well i think it's 26 to 30 million euros or something like that he just didn't fit in at barcelona and not everyone does you, you look at malcolm as dembele as you mentioned uh paco Alcacer himself uh, remains to be seen how arturo vidal will do there a lot of players just don't fit in i, I mean we mentioned the Mina in a few episodes so uh barcelona is a hard place to adapt to so they have a certain way of playing and if you don't suit it if you don't suit their traditions then you're, you're kind of out very quickly last player jao cancelo portuguese right back who uh, transferred from Inter to Juventus for a hefty fee, I think 30, 30 million pounds, something thereabouts. Yeah, so he was on loan at uh, Inter last year oh, from course, Valencia. Uh, a player that's you know so attacking minded, that, that that's so quick, so skilled, and and we saw what he was able to uh, accomplish at Inter on loan last year. It was, I think he was a big part of why they were able to uh, you know finish top four. Of course, Juventus being uh, you know. Uh, the, an aggressive team, a team that you know, makes those shrewd business deals, uh, and a guy for a director like Beppe Marotta to uh, really kind of give uh, Juventus one of their last uh, jewel signings before he is departs, and looks like he's actually going to be going to Inter if uh, reports are true. Um, Cancelo has been a slam dunk move for them. I think what we've seen with the market for for fullbacks, right backs, left backs in recent years, uh, with you know what we saw with City, with Mendy, with um, Walker, the price is going up, up, up for these guys because I think it's established that this uh, it's it's this player is a lot more valued now. Not to mention again, Premier League money is always going to inflate everything, but. When what we saw with Juventus, right? Again, they they they've had Dicillo, they've have Alexandro, they've had guys more or less over the years that have been pretty effective for them. Of course, I think Santro's been uh, one of the best in the world. If you if you ask me, the past two three years, um, what he's been able to accomplish at Juve. But I think when they looked at Gallic Concello, right, I think they saw a player again who is is clearly clearly a a, a talented individual um, and more on the offensive side of things in that position. But a player that I think Allegri saw, and he was saying forty million for a guy who's this young, who's this quick, who has this attacking uh, uh, verve to him, I think there's something where he can be approved um, defensively, and he can be one of those top two, top three uh, players at his position in world football. I think that's what a lot of people are actually looking at him right now and saying. There's not many at his position right now that are better than him based off his form. I think again. Obviously, more uh, people associate him as more of an attacking right back, rightfully so. Um, a guy maybe even who can play as a right mid, right wing back, right, even right winger. I think he has that, those types of qualities. But uh, Max Allegri has, has played him more a little bit more as a right back. Uh, he's got the work rate. He's got the that that uh, that desire to bomb forward, but also to track back. I think he's a player that is going to improve defensively in time. And even if he becomes a a average to uh, plus type defender, uh, the, you know, uh, right back with and with regards to his defensive uh, you know, uh, abilities. I think that's more than enough, and that's more than enough, um, you know, uh, uh, value to get from a forty million euro transfer, right? Because I think again, uh, the way the money, the way the market's going for certain individuals like this, who are not to mention also young. Uh, I think it was a slam dunk move for Juventus, and you really look at their their entire defense. This team's built to win a Champions League, built to win a treble this year. Uh, but obviously, Ronaldo, we all talked about him. But when you look at their 
You have Sandro, Cancelo. They got Bonucci back with Chiellini. The midfield, Matuidi, looks like he's reborn really since he's came out, coming over from uh, from PSG. Uh, Pjanic, Bentancur. I mean, this team's loaded. And I think, again, it's it's easy to maybe uh, bypass or to overlook or to miss a guy like Cancelo, right, because of all the star power they do have. But he's been one of the biggest uh, acquisitions for any team in Europe this year. I think he's really, uh, really... Uh, uh, been a slam dunk move and a, a, a player that Juventus fans definitely are relying on to make a big impact even in the Champions League. Yeah, he's been phenomenal, hasn't he? Especially in the attacking sense in that 4-4-2, he's been brilliant. But so is Alexandro on the other side. I think this formation has suited so many of the players, including Ronaldo. Max Allegri has just got it spot on and I think they're going to continue to do really well and I think the Champions League is is the holy grail for them this season. But uh, we're going to move on to our player profile, Matt. Now I think you want to talk about a Turkish starlet in Serie A. So why don't you take it away? Yes, so um, we're going to talk a little bit about Chingis Under, the youngster from AS Roma, one of Monkey's best additions last year, um, and really since he taken over as a sporting director for Roma. Um, this is one of those moves where I think you know people knew he was talented. They kind of you know did their homework on him, saying okay. From what we've seen, I think he's an obvious talent, a guy that's you know not finished by any means at um, at this age, at 21, 20, 21, um, and a guy that really has um, the potential to be a, a key man, a, a big time player, and of course, when we you know, unfortunately when we talk about Roma, a uh, a player that's sold for a profit. But in any case, right now, I think you know Roma fans are very delighted from what they've been able to uh, see from Chingis Under, twenty one year old winger, attacking midfielder, a guy who can play on both ends. I think he's more suited for the right side just because he's able to cut in and use that left foot and strike from distance, which we've seen um, plenty times last year and even in the Champions League this year. Right, he's got two goals and an assist in three Champions League appearances this year for Roma. Um, Guy who gets a ton of shots, I think he's averaging about three to four shots per game. I think it's kind of established that he's probably one of their most um, special, most talented attacking players at the moment. But I think in any case, Chingis Unders, uh, you know, he's getting his minutes and he's making the most of them. A guy who's quick, a guy who can dribble. And the comparisons have been made in previous years, year this year, last year, um, from what we've seen in a small sample size, of course, um, to a Turkish Paulo Dybala. I think that's a lot to put on a kid like this because I think we obviously have to see it happen over multiple years, and we also have to see it happen over a bigger uh, body of work as a starter. I think it's easy to come off a bench, score a goal or two, look really good doing it, and then people say the next Dybala, the next. How many times have we seen the next, and then a star being uh, star's names being placed across? Uh, oh, you know the guy, especially we talked about even Piontek on a pre- two pre- two episodes ago, the next Lewandowski, right? I think people need to be a little bit more careful in the way they go about doing that. But in any case, it's great It's great company to be in if you're Chingis Under, 21-year-old Turkish international who is starting to get you know those those uh, main minutes as a big-time player at Roma. Uh, in the Champions League, you're able to do that. Obviously, you're going to have more eyes on you. And I think, again, the sky's the limit for a guy like Chingis Under. You hope he, the, Roma is able to... Uh, uh, keep a hold of him past this year but I think way off the way the trend's been going for them it seems like they're losing one you know a minimum of one sometimes even two big players every year right we saw what Salah 42 million euro a couple years ago he was one of the best three four players in the world for Liverpool um, and of course they lost uh, Allison, their star goalkeeper to Liverpool as well um, maybe if Liverpool come make it three years in a row and they go after Cengiz Under let's hope not because as a Serie A fan um, you know Cengiz Under has been one of the more exciting players when he does get on the pitch, it's obvious he's a player that stands out. A player that's at 21 is very confident. 
confident in what he's able to do. Quick, the pacey, good dribbler. He's able to you know strike from distance. Again, you can see where the comparisons are made with Paulo Dybala. But I like keeping players in their own separate hold their own separate uh you know name and not really trying to compare too much because i think it's uh it's it's kind of cliche at this point in time the next this the next that what i've seen from chingy's under i think again their interest is already there i believe i saw reports uh, you know month two months ago not sure how concrete they were or how solidified they were but uh tottenham is interested and it's only natural that these teams premier league are gonna be the barcelona these teams are gonna obviously they see champions league goals um, you know, you know, scoring from deep, the mesmeric dribbling ability, all these different things kind of come into play. And an attacking player who's young, it's obvious that he's you know, his his he's going to have a bright career ahead of him, provided he uh, you keeps his uh his his head down, he keeps charging forward, uh, and he keeps working hard uh, to to win over Di Francesco, and ultimately again I hope win over a starting role uh, full time at Roma because I think again one of um, Roma's true game-breaking players, a player if you put him on in late in the game, uh, 15, 20 minutes, he doesn't, really, he doesn't really take that much time to get going. You obviously see that if Roma are needing a goal or they're maybe trailing, he's a guy that can reverse the tie instantly with his pace, with his dribbling, with his eye for goal. And, and I think those are the types of things you look for in, a, in an expensive star world-class player. And I hope that um, you know people start to take notice of Cengiz Under and what he's able to do because I think the uh, sky's the limit for him. Yeah, I think this season he's started predominantly last season he came off the bench i think 11 times but this season he started eight out of nine Serie A games i think so he's doing really well in that regard you are right though roma are a selling club i mean if you think about um the constant links that Constas Manolas has had. If you think about uh, Lorenzo Pellegrini with that very low release clause, if you think about Edin Dzeko nearly leaving, uh, like in last January to to they Chelsea, sold Palmieri to Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. E- Emerson as well. Um, th- there are a lot of players in that squad. If you're just looking at it now, Pellegrini, uh, Juan Jesus, Manolas, Ante Koric, uh, Under, um, Edin Dzeko, who may be prized away in the next uh, couple transfer windows but you never know but Cengiz uh, Under yeah that Dybala comparison same kind of height same kind of build same dribbling style both got a lethal left foot I think this is a weird one I think there's a bit of Juan Mata about Cengiz Under I'm not sure if you agree but that kind of like left foot the the body the body that. the body face yeah because I think he's he's he's, he's, he's a, is a creative player he has that again that 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 left foot stroke that yeah I, I could see a little bit of that again I think that's why it's tough to you know pigeonhole certain players when you're comparing um you know comparing them right because I think it's, you could you could take a little bit of this a little bit of that we talked about how many people ask me about Torreira wait well who do you compare him to I'm like it's tough because you can talk about elements of his game being N'Golo Kante ish but you can talk about element elements of his game being um you know a, a little bit of a Busquets a little bit it's again there's players that draw inspiration you know from certain players but I think it's really difficult to kind of narrow it down to like this is his comp this is the guy he's compared to you know based off everything I think you have to look at certain things um certain qualities of a player and say you know what 
yeah, like he's you know in this respect he's he is a good fair comp to to Dybala or to uh, when we talked about Piontek with Lewandowski. But I think you also have to kind of understand that these players, you know, they watch football as young kids and they kind of take elements of certain players and try to you know emulate them on the field and eventually be, you know kind of carve out what type of player they are themselves. And I think that's kind of what we see with Chingis Under here. Again, you can see the elements, you can see the splashes of Dybala as you just mentioned with the dribbling ability, that left foot. But again, you can see also small hints of uh, a Juan Mata, um, you know, for for having that left foot as well, and and for being able to, uh, you know, have that that cut inward type of, of style of play, you know, from the right, and be also a playmaker um, in that sense as well. Yeah, certainly. So he's a very exciting player, and it would not surprise me to see him elsewhere. I think looking down that Roma squad again, Robin Olsen, their goalkeeper, has had a fantastic start to the season, hasn't he? So someone that they brought in to deputise for, Alisson, has, has really, really, really stepped up to the plate for them. And I think he said in an interview recently that he felt a lot of the pressure coming in for a, a world record signing keeper that had just departed. But Jengisunda, I think, is someone that will be the talisman for for Roma this season along with Edin Dzeko and I think he'll be the talisman for for Turkey along with uh, Hakan Kaunoglu in the in the future. Oh absolutely. Again when you're 21 you're you're starting you're starting to get those starting minutes for Roma. You're scoring in the Champions League. I think you start looking at your international coach and you're saying look what I'm doing. I I need these minutes. I want to be a, a main guy for the national team. Put me in and you're you're going to start to see Chingis Under again. We all we've seen it so many times where the player has those brief moments for, for club. He finally gets those minutes for his international team. Perfect example has been Suso, right? And Suso was have doing have having all this success with uh with Milan. And then uh, finally this he got that Spain opportunity, right? What he do in his in his first couple appearances? He looks effective he's got the assists he's got that 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 nasty left foot and now all of a sudden you got all these teams just lining up for him so I think again if you start pairing the two the success at club level for Chingis Under with possibly taking on a larger role for um, his his, uh, country Turkey I think his his price is only going to go up and the demand for him is only going to increase. Again, hopefully, as a Serie A fan, I'm not a Roma fan, but I do like Cengiz Under. I like what he's able to bring to the pitch, and he's an exciting player. He's a game-changer, and I think those players I want to keep in Serie A. That's being being selfish, but I think if you asked him, or if you know, you, you, uh, you, know, you asked him sometime soon, I think everyone has ambitions. They want to play, uh, you know, for... for, for the top, top, top clubs, and no disrespect to Roma, but I think in recent years, I think what we've seen is that, you know, yes, they do love Roma, the city, the team, everything like that in Italy um, and in Serie A in general, but I think, again, his future lies elsewhere. I mean, I'm hoping it's not next year. I'm hoping that they could keep it for a couple years, build something special, and, um, you know, get a get a big fee for him when they eventually do uh, find themselves in that position where they do have to sell, but I just hate to see him leave after you know one full year of being a starter, you know, having that success in the Champions League because I think it's not a good it's not a good look for Roma. I want to see Roma keep these guys. I think that what we were able what we were able to see them do last year with the guys they were able to keep, they can do quite well in Champions League. And I think you know they they're a team that when you see them do that well in the Champions League, it's kind of frustrating um, as a football fan to see them subtract right because when you're that close and you, you then it's like okay, well now we're selling Allison. It's like yeah, but you're so close you're supposed to be taking the next step and I think you know if there's a much of there's several different factors and and a a multitude of things as to why they're not able to spend as much because of um you know financial fair play you know uh the the financial side of things going on with the club at this moment in time
time, of course, they're looking to get their own stadium. So hopefully that'll be able to kind of in turn help them keep players like Chengis Under long term and not have to worry about losing you know high caliber players on a year to year basis. Yeah, I think that that stadium effect is is very prevalent for a lot of pro- football clubs. I mean, you look at Tottenham right now. We saw what they did with Juve. We saw yeah. what Juve have been able to do. Hundred million, or I think a hundred million uh, euro for uh, Allianz Stadium, J Stadium, whatever it's called now. Um, but you, but when you're owning your own stadium, I mean, like that's just it's just it's it changes everything. We see how the, how much of an effect it has with Premier League sides, and there's only like several, I think two or three clubs in Italy that actually own their own stadium. Mm. So if Rome were able to do that, I think that would go a long way in being able to uh, prevent or having being pressed into selling these players like Under, like we've seen with Salah, Alisson Becker, and um, you know, maybe others. But in the short to midterm, you have to sacrifice, like Tottenham are doing now, uh, and they're doing very well to stay anywhere near the top four, uh, like Arsenal did in that period, 2006-2012. Uh, and I think there's also an element of that Monaco effect, where you have too many players coming in and out every year. You can only do it for so many seasons before you get found out, potentially. But with Monchi at, uh, at, at the helm, I think they have one of the best guys to help them transition through that this period but Matt I think this is all we've got time for um it's been over an hour uh, we said we'd only go for 40 but you can never get that never happens yeah, you never, never go happens. according to plan never happens <laughs> never happens but where, where can people find out more about you yeah Twitter uh that's 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 where I'm mostly active uh, at Matt underscore Santangelo uh, I appreciate the support guys with this podcast with some of my other guest appearances and um yeah just uh, thank you for your support and um, look forward to uh, doing another episode real soon. Nice, nice. Thank you very much. And you can find me at Pet Berisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A. And you can find us at the State of Play Pod, at State of Play Pod, P-O-D, on Twitter. And then email us if you want to get in contact or if you want to sponsor the podcast or collaborate at stateofplaypod at gmail.com and uh, yes subscribe leave us a review we love reading those reviews and give us some feedback if you hate us hate it or hate us or hate Matt tell us why (laughs) thanks very much for listening everyone